Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the occupier's champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From That Cast Creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the PDX Executive Podcast continuing to do this virtually, that which pains me because I love seeing people in person. I'm excited to have my next guest on, uh, Ali Shanholt, the co-founder of Do Anything Foods. Ali, welcome. Hi, thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. Well, it's good to see you in person. We, uh, I think we met a few years ago uh, mm-hmm. at one of my events I hosted. So um, I, I would love for you to start kind of with your a little bit who you are, your career journey, sure. and then we'll build up to uh, you starting Do Anything Foods and a little more about that. So I'd love for you just to give us a little overview. Absolutely. Um, so I uh, was lucky enough to graduate um, a small liberal arts college in 2009, which was in the kind of the depths of the recession. And, um, you know, a lot of us graduating at that time um, were hoping to leave college with job offers in hand. Um, and I was surrounded by friends having offers pulled, having to, you know, go down non-traditional paths, that sort of thing. And so I was very lucky in that I was able to get a job doing management consulting, which is what I initially wanted to do. And, um, I would say, you know, I was an English major and Italian minor. So went into the working world with, um, very good writing and communication skills, but not necessarily a lot of great real world skills. And so my first kind of uh, three years doing management consulting was an incredible um, uh, learning experience for me, learning how to analyze data, work with data. We were incredibly data-driven firm. Um, And so that was where I kind of like developed a lot of my skills on that side. And I think laid the groundwork for a lot of what came after that. Yeah. Um, I know that this is a pretty common thing for entrepreneurs, but my path to where I am now was not at all linear. Right. Um, and that, that is a common thing. And just go back. Where, where were you living yeah. when you started the working and consulting? Uh, Boston. In Boston. Boston. Okay. Yeah. And it was one of those situations where, um, the firm had kind of realized a need last minute and they gave me an offer. I was living at home with my parents mm. for like two weeks after graduation. And I was like, this is not going to work. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they gave me this offer and they're like, your offer is contingent. This, I, I think I got the offer on Friday. Your offer is contingent on showing up here Monday morning, ready to work. Mm. So <laughs> that was kind of like trial by fire. And they dropped, they dropped me into this like super challenging project right away, which was honestly fantastic for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was living in Boston. Um, and then I spent about three, three and a half years in Boston doing that and um, great learning experience. Um, I developed a really good 
mentor um, at the firm I was working with there. And she introduced me to a colleague of hers who was a partner at a venture capital fund, which was something that I had developed like a lot of interest in. And I realized that while I was working at this consulting firm, that I was taking a lot of interest in the technology side of a lot of the companies that we were look, we were working with. And so um, kind of parlayed that experience into being a venture capital associate in New York City. Oh, um, okay. What, yeah. what, what firm was that? Can you say? So I worked for the venture capital arm of Bertelsmann. Um, and Bertelsmann is um, a massive family-owned media conglomerate out of Germany. Okay. Um, but they own properties all over Europe and the US. Um, and so like if you were to put together, so they own like Penguin Random House. So like the largest publisher in the US, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. They own magazines, they own TV networks, all of that. And so we were the corporate venture arm of them. And so our mandate was to, you know, work with um, funds who were, um, I mean, work with companies that were kind of the next forefront of what media was going to look like. So whether Mm -hmm. that's how you um, develop media businesses and monetize them, whether it's supporting kind of like the back end of those media businesses. And so um, that was you know, that was a a huge leap for me, frankly, it was a lot of learning there as well. Mm -hmm. But it was fantastic to work very closely with founders. Um, So I worked with both kind of on the front line, I was kind of like the first line of defense, so to speak. And so before um, really any founders got to meet with the partners, they'd meet with me first. And I would kind of say like, yes, or no, I think this could be a good fit for us or you know, this is not the right fit for us right now, or, you know, you should go talk to this other fund or something like that. And what, and sorry um, to interrupt, but what, what were some yeah. of the companies you were kind of working with that? I mean, they're all in media sounds like, but was it? Yeah. 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 So, um, some of the investments that we, that we led when, um, I was there and that definitely played a part in my uh, career further down the line were companies like food 52 So Food 52 is like this incredible online community of home cooks. And, you know, they had created this incredible content repository, but they were laying, layering um, commerce on top of it. And so we had a, um, you know, a a kind of concept around how content and commerce are going to go hand in hand, um, which is definitely something that we've seen come about more and more. Um, Another company that we worked closely with was BarkBox. Now oh, yeah. Bark Co, mm-hmm. but it's like the monthly subscription box for dogs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then a bunch of other kind of like media monetization companies. So okay. like ad tech and that sort of thing, the back end of stuff. So, you know, when you see an ad delivered to you um, on an article that you're reading, how is that delivered there and how is that monetized? Right. Well, and, I mean, that, that whole industry, I used to work for in media and for it. Uh, privately owned company out of New York called Advance Media. I don't know mm-hmm. if you know who they are. And so was, that whole world's challenging. <laughs> so so what is. made you want to get out of that and kind of eventually move to to Portland or how well, how'd you get here? Yeah. So I um I to be honest was um I loved my job and I was so inspired by it, but I was definitely feeling often that I didn't deserve the seat that I had um, because here I was sitting across um, from these incredible founders who were putting everything on the line for their businesses. 
And I often felt like, who am I to judge whether or not this is going to be successful, right? Um, And I understood or saw the gap between what they were experiencing and where I was coming from. Um, And my background being great in communication, I had developed the skills with analytics and numbers. Um, but there's a je ne sais quoi about what a lot of entrepreneurs are doing. And I, I knew that that was there and I was trying my best to wrap my arms around what that meant. And I think for me, that made me really excited about trying to do something like that on my own. Hmm. So you got the bug. (laughs) I got the bug. (laughs) I got the bug. And I honestly, I, um, the next job was not an entrepreneurial job, <laughs> right. uh, but the next job I got in touch with um, the the man who was the, at that point in time the president of Stumptown Coffee Roasters, this incredible guy named Jock, who's you know very well known here in the Port- Portland yep. business world, and he and I got connected, and you know my whole um, kind of training up to that point had been how do you build, you know, content and commerce companies? Mm-hmm. Um, and so he had just taken kind of uh, the president job at Stumptown Coffee Roasters and was looking at their e-commerce business. And he was thinking, you know, I think that there's a lot more here that we can do. And I want to bring in someone who can kind of bring this business to the next level. And mm-hmm. so um, he brought me on with the mandate to um, grow the e-commerce business take over essentially the entire digital side of business. So e-commerce, digital content, email marketing. Mm. Um, I ran the customer service team for a while as well. Um, And so, you know, kind of taking that under and in many ways, it was kind of like running a little mini startup within a much more established business, which for sure for me felt like a really great kind of like training wheels situation. And you moved here. I mean, uh, you moved here for that role then to Portland. I did. Okay. And then how long were you at Stumptown again? I was there a little over three years, I believe. Um, And I was there um, through the acquisition by Pete's. Um, My last year or so that I was there, um, I ended up actually spending like 20 or 30% of my time working for the Pete's business. And so that was also um, a really incredible learning experience. Well, let's, uh, not to derail it too much, but I'm always fascinated when a company gets acquired. Mm -hmm. How was that? of what you can share how was that transition and culturally how was that received like i guess when you that was being announced were people excited and uh it, it was a good fit it seems like it has been but i'm curious to see what on the from the inside what was it like yeah you know i think um for the most part especially for the first several months it was a very kind of hands-off acquisition. There was no concept that we were going to like roll Stumptown up under Pete's. The Stumptown brand certainly was not going away. And one of the things that um, the CEO of Pete's told me at that time is that one of the reasons why they acquired Stumptown was because they had loved what we had done digitally. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they really wanted to learn from us in that respect. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it was an acquisition, but there was, I would say like an equal exchange of, um, knowledge and culture and, and growth and that sort of thing. Um, and so that I I would say overall, it was really positive. Um, there were little things that we benefited from that, you know, there was definitely a lot of uproar in the community here about that acquisition, which I honestly don't really think was merited. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And for example, little things like we got to take advantage of the Pete's shipping rates, which meant that <laughs> I was able to offer free shipping to our customers much more often because it was way less expensive, right? And, and it's something about Portland, and I obviously I love it here, but it, it's kind of like when we were younger into bands and they signed to a major label. You're like, ah, oh, they just sold out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. but it's uh, but uh, you you know the the things like you mentioned, the shipping, the economies of scale, these other uh, things that come with it are really are really helpful. So. I mean, when and I would left, say that like, yeah. the, sorry, just one last point yeah. about that. Like the most important thing, and this was also something I brought with me to do anything foods was like, we were so hyper-focused on quality at Stumptown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks were like, oh, you sold out to Pete's, like quality's going down the hill. Like that's terrible. But the reality is, is that that actually gave us the access to the resources that we needed to honestly like lock up the highest quality coffee right. in the market. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like we have been developing these relationships for a long time with the best coffee producers in the world. And it's a pretty competitive business out there. You know, it's a global industry and there's a lot of competition, especially with the rise of third wave coffee for the highest quality beans. Mm -hmm. And the support that we got from Pete allowed us to continue to on that mission. And so if anything, the quality got better. So after you're done, I mean, you had this amazing experience, been through an acquisition, a great track record. You could have gone to another startup or early stage company, a bigger brand, but you wanted to start your own company. (laughs) Is it just because you've kind of, you've been in venture capital, you've worked with founders, been in this, it was just, it was time or walk me through that kind of, and then why in the space? Because I'm curious about that too. Um, I would love to be able to tell you that I like sat and meditated on it and like this was <laughs> the thing that that happened. Yeah. Um, the the reality is is that I was introduced to my co-founder. Um, she kind of had this idea around this business, but she had no background in in food or CPG or anything like that. And she and I started kind of like bouncing these ideas off each other. And this thing started and I was still working at Stumptown. Mm. Um, And it began to kind of grow and coalesce and come together. And um, I realized that I was sitting at my office doing my coffee things all day long, but half my brain was thinking about this company. And Mm. so I didn't, I wasn't even necessarily looking to leave Stumptown. I was like, you know, it just kind of landed in front of me. Mm-hmm. And it almost was this like compulsory thing. Like I didn't have an option. Yeah. I couldn't stop thinking about this idea. I couldn't stop growing the concept of the brand in my mind. Um, and it ended up being something that I was already really passionate about. I mean, it grew out of that. And so to say that I came up with the idea or that we came up with the idea and decided to start the company, it's not that. It was like, it started despite us. (laughs) And um, so I don't think we've really dove into what do anything foods is. So if you give a little overview of uh, the company and what you, what what you make. Yeah. Yeah. So we make a line of organic vegetable-based do anything sauces, the idea that you can use them as a dip, as a spread on pizza, on pasta, some of them are really good as a soup. Um, and this was born out of our, um, our, the shortcuts that we were taking at home to help get healthy meals on the table for our families every day of the week, mm-hmm. right? And so it started by, you know, we would take the leftover vegetables in the fridge at the end of our week 
and we didn't want them to go to waste. And so we turn, you know, if we had a lot of greens, we'd make a pesto. If we had a lot of root vegetables, we'd make a soup. Um, and it'd be something that we would, you know, keep in our fridge or portion out into our freezer. And so when we came home on a Wednesday night and you were like exhausted from working all day, had no idea what to make, you could like, you know, pull some cooked protein out of your, out of your fridge, cook up some quick quinoa, put a sauce on it. And all of a sudden you have this delicious meal, um, at your fingertips. It took five minutes. It takes five minutes. It's made with super high quality ingredients. It's super tasty. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of where the idea came from. And, um, you know, very similar to my experience at Stumptown, we have been hyper-focused on quality since day one. And I think that that was one of the things that for me as a consumer was missing in the marketplace was I became, I mean, I've always been very passionate about um, nutrition, but especially when I moved to Portland. And, and honestly, this is a true story. I moved to Portland. And I, you know, got a Subaru, drove to New Seasons. And the first time I walked into New Seasons, ready to shop for my apartment here, I started crying (laughs) because it was so beautiful. The produce was so beautiful. The store was so beautiful. And I was used to like shopping in these like tiny cramped little stores in Manhattan and like throwing elbows for the last chicken breast that was kind of gross looking anyways, (laughs) you know? And so, um, for me, the experience of like moving here and the access to the produce that we have here, it just invigorated this passion Mm -hmm. for food for me all over again. Um, so we're spoiled here, you know, and it's like the new seasons, even on on the, the, the more convenient side you have companies like green zebra that offer these you know healthy alternatives to like a 7-eleven so uh, it's a great place to start that so i'm assuming with your background you got really analytical about starting the business and did a lot of research uh, I mean, is that the case or was it like you said it kind of pulled you to starting it and um, how as far as launching it did you spend a lot of heads down time like doing market research talking to wholesalers or uh, i'm curious Yes to all the things. Um, I am very fortunate that my business partner, Monica, is uh, honestly maybe more analytical than Mm. I am. Um, But we're not, uh, we're not driven to like analysis paralysis Mm. We're more just like incredibly methodical and numbers driven in a lot of the decisions that we make. Um, And, you know, getting a brand off the ground um, can take a long time and there's a lot more to it than I think a lot of folks realize. Um, you know, there's the legal side to it. There's the, um, obviously brand and marketing development side of it. There's a product development side of it. There's figuring out how you're going to make it, how you're going to bring it to market, who you're going to partner with, you know, like there's a lot of steps along the way Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of like chicken and the egg issues happening throughout that process. Um, and so, I would say that our approach to it was um, as analytical as it could have been. Also understanding that at that point in time, it's also a lot about relationships. Yeah. And I know, um, so yeah, your site is, it's a direct to consumer, uh, I mean, brand, but you do sell through uh, retailers and, and such too, right? So was that mm-hmm. a conscious decision where like, how did you start? Did you start direct to consumer first or go the route of talking to retailers like a new seasons or how, how'd that play out? Yeah. So we uh, started working with retailers first. So we ended up 
working with, after interviewing about 40 co-packers, it's not an exaggeration, we ended up working with a co-packer on the East Coast. And so we knew that we were going to be launching the business on the East Coast. And we wanted to get um, kind of like proof of concept, uh, feedback on the early product, feedback on the early brand. And, you know, we had done a lot of market research. We, you know, invested in that before we launched. And so we had a decent understanding, but you learn a lot once your product is actually up on shelves. And so our launch plan was to sell into a lot of the New York City independents, um, which are a pretty, um, can be a pretty challenging group of stores to work with, but also a kind of great trial by fire. Um, and so that, that is where we launched the product. Um, and, uh, I will also say that we launched the product at, um, a conference that's the biggest natural food and beverage conference in the world, I believe called Expo West. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we invested in a booth there. It was a lot of money. We flew out wow. there, no idea what was going to happen. Um, you know, trying to do things on the super bare bones yeah. budget and we hadn't sold a single jar of sauce anywhere. Um, and so we wow. show up at this huge trade show, hoping that someone might notice us. And for context, and this, this is like 50,000 people or so it's a huge 90,000 right? 90, people. people. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, thousands and thousands of exhibitors who, you know, have so much more money and clout and everything else than we do. Right. We're nobodies. Yeah. We show up with our super cheap, uh, little like booth that I think I put together myself. Um, you know, it's, not it was not the most impressive way that we could have shown up but we showed up and uh we ended up winning this huge award at the show for the best new organic food wow which was an incredible catapult for us for our business to kind of get us started because that's the one thing that we could hang our hat on when we were having sales conversations Mm -hmm. um and so that did help us get started. Um, so we were selling into these New York independents and getting, you know, feedback on the product, um, feedback on the branding, iterating as we went. Um, and, you know, from there learned a lot in the first year, shortly after that, I started building out our website, um, essentially planning to launch with what we call like a minimum viable product. Mm -hmm. So not over investing in the site whatsoever. Um, and just getting it out there to see if direct to consumers would be direct to consumer would be something that worked for us. Okay. Um, and so to answer your question, we started in retail, layered on DTC and then continued to grow the retail business. Were you bootstrapping this whole time or you hadn't got investment? Yeah, we were bootstrapping that, that whole time. We, um, not super recently, but several months ago took some friends and family money, but a very small amount. Um, And so we've had to be really creative with how we've funded the business. And is that, I mean, that sounds like kind of an intentional way to go to, about it from your end, right? You, you really wanted to do it this way versus, um, I mean, you have raised a little bit of money, it sounds like, but would, would that be your advice to founders now? Is it go that route first or what's, it's, I mean, obviously, as we speak, the economic reality is changing day by day as far as yeah. raising money and where we're at with that. but. Um, yeah, curious to hear about that part of the business. I, you know, there's not one right way to do it. And I've seen companies who have been able to raise like $6 million on a deck and a dream, you know, and that works for them. Um, I think that Monica and I are very 
pragmatic and we understand Monica is also a former investor. And so we mm-hmm. both understand what it means to be um, working with investors. Uh, we put a huge amount of value on the relationships that we build with anybody that wants to take part in our company. Um, and we also understand the kind of responsibility, added responsibility that that means. And I think that before we were willing to put anybody else's money on the line, we were putting our own money and time on the line to prove that this would work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that way. I mean, I, I always reference a Jamie Smith, who's been on my podcast a couple of times. I think that's how you know she started too. And that's her advice. And I love that that uh how you're doing it so so where's the business now what's kind of uh you know next and love to learn about that yeah so uh we launched uh by coastally this year which was super exciting new seasons was actually our first west coast account and given you know the kind of emotional connection that i've already shared with new seasons (laughs) it was really exciting for me to get on shelf there i shop there you know in normal times almost every day of the week so Um, that was a really great kind of personal triumph for me. Um, and then, uh, you know, we have great retail relationships across the country. We're actually launching with Whole Foods, um, this week, uh, which is really exciting. Um, thank you. And a handful of other retailers, um, across the country that we're super excited about. Um, and it was actually interesting. We had, um, some other products kind of in development that, you know, Monica and I have this, this dream about what the business is, and it goes far beyond just vegetable based sauces. Mm. Um, You know, with the idea that we really want to help families get healthy, delicious meals on the table every day of the week. And there are a lot of tools that she and I personally, as just super passionate home cooks, Mm -hmm. have come up with that are incredible shortcuts to Mm. kind of that goal. Um, and so we have this pipeline of products that are in various stages of development that we are just like chomping at the bit to get out into the world. But at the same time, we understand the business, the, the value of growing the business slowly. Mm. Um, and I got some incredible advice, um, from, uh, actually an investor who has also, you know, is happy to talk to entrepreneurs and get and give advice. And one of the things that he said to me, and it really stuck with me was um, wait till you have a million dollar skew to, until you launch any new products. Hmm. And that is something that, you know, Monica and I developed this whole other line of products that we were actually planning on launching in Q1 2020. And in December, we decided to pull the plug on it for a couple of reasons. One, because we had gotten all of these new distribution gains for our current line of products that we really wanted to make sure that when we got into those stores that they would be incredibly successful and that we could give them all of the attention that we needed. And two, because when we were setting our uh, 2020 goals, and I am very, very into goal setting, okay. um, we realized that launching these new products didn't jive with our 2020 goals. Mm. Um, And so now we're like, okay, we're going to build until we have like a million dollar skew. And right now we're on track to have $2 million skews by the end of 2020. Um, And so I think by that point we will have developed brand awareness, developed the trust with our consumers 
um, and that hopefully we would be able to launch products after that to a really receptive audience. I love that disciplined approach because it's something that it's hard to do because you're an entrepreneur, you're a doer by nature, right? You want to get these new products out and to kind of step back and have that discipline, discipline is, um, is really good advice. Uh, for it was folks. not an easy decision. I will tell you that. <laughs> and I'm also curious, like with your background in media and content, is that part of the play too? To kind of build out, I mean, you hear these additives like, you know, every company is a media company now or should be. So what's, how's that part as far as like education uh, for around healthy meals? Is that something you're building out too or? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's something that we're investing in as much as we can afford to given our super limited budget. But yeah, my dream is to create incredible, compelling and helpful content for our consumers that resonates in a really authentic way with the challenges that they're facing every day around mealtime. One of the last things, well, a couple, two more things. <laughs> One of the last things you mentioned, you, you talked about your co-founder a lot, Monica. How important is that co-founder relationship and what are some things you can, sh or advice maybe when choosing a co-founder and just uh, the partnership of that? Because a lot of companies fail because of co-founder uh, relationships go sour. So well, yeah, I would love to get your maybe advice on that. Yeah, that is so important. And I would say that with Monica and I, there's very little daylight between us. I mean, we are open books with each other. Um, we have very open and very respectful um, relationship and the way that we communicate with each other. And you know, we've been working on this for several years now. And at this point, I think we can read each other really well. We know each other's working styles and we've developed this rapport that really works. And, you know, we've had our fair share of pretty incredible challenges, mm. things that I thought were going to sink the company for sure. Um, and we've been able to weather them. And so I, I do think that that's a testament to our relationship. Um, before Monica and I decided to like that, this is something that we really want to do together. She had actually founded the company and had essentially hired me as like a contractor or like a advisor okay. for almost a year before wow. we decided to make that leap. Wow. And then once we started talking about making that leap, there was a lot of conversations about what that could look like, what that means. And so not every co-founding relationship is going to have the ability to do it the way that we did. Um, but uh, it ended up working out because we had this test period and we really got to know each other during that test period. Um, yeah. Um, well, let's, let's end with Portland. I mean, you're here. It's, I think, a great market to, to you know, start this type of company. But what are your thoughts of just being a founder here? Um, you know, as we grow in Portland, the business community here, uh, you know, what are your thoughts, pros and, you know, any challenges we might have too? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure I can think of very many few, very many places that are a better place to start a food company than in Portland where people are so passionate about food, about local brands, about sustainability um, and accountability in that, in the, in the food chain. And so I think it's been an incredible a place to start a business from that standpoint. There is definitely a burgeoning um, CPG 
uh, founder community here. Um, That's really exciting to be a part of. I'm part of this um, kind of food and Bev founders group that if any food and Bev founders are listening to this and they're not a part of it and they want to be a part of it, feel free to reach out and we can get you in, in that fold because it's a really great group of entrepreneurs who really support each other a lot and like dozens of emails a day flying around mm. about all sorts of things. And so, mm. um, you know, a really great kind of um, community in that respect. Um, and then, you know, in general, there's a really great entrepreneurial spirit here. I'm great friends with several under other entrepreneurs in the city, um, not in the food and bed space, but um, there's a lot of great culture around talking about the challenges of being a founder. And, you know, for example, Jason Bolt, who was on your mm-hmm. podcast, yeah. like he has been such an incredible kind of like mentor for me and uh, really great giving me a lot of insights because he's much further down the entrepreneurial path than I am. And, um, you know, meeting with folks like that has been um, incredibly helpful. It's a special place, you know, and it's just, uh, I, everybody's so open. And I think that is important, especially these peer groups you mentioned that you're part of and just a greater business community here is, uh, it's really special and everybody supports each other. So as we go, it's doanythingfoods.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. Doanythingfoods.com, uh, doanythingfoods on Instagram. Um, and that's where you can find us. New seasons, Whole Foods this week. Congrats, Allie. I'd love to uh, connect a little uh, down the road to see how things are going again. So thanks for being on. For sure. That'd be fun. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well. 